0: Hello and welcome to Injury Prevention. I'm Brian Johnston, the Editor-in-Chief. Our podcasts focus on work that's published in Injury Prevention, an international peer-reviewed journal. With each issue, we identify one paper as the editor's choice. That paper is discussed in our podcast and it's always free online. So if you enjoy what you hear, have a look at the website and download the entire manuscript. You'll find us at injuryprevention.bmj.com. Today, we're discussing the paper, Triangulating Case Finding Tools for Patient Safety Surveillance, which appears in the December 2011 issue. I'm joined by the lead author on the paper, Dr. Jennifer Taylor, who's an assistant professor in the Department of Environmental and Occupational Health at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Welcome, Dr. Taylor. So this paper we're talking about is something of a departure for injury prevention insofar as it's focused on injury to patients in healthcare settings and caused by medical error. Now you and I both know that patient safety is a hugely important field in the U.S., but it hasn't really caught the interest of the injury prevention community, has it?
1: No, it's it's really true, and and it's fascinating for me because um, patient safety has been uh, it's it's a big issue in the U.S. and globally, and outside of the United States. Uh, folks in injury prevention and control have been interested in this as an injury issue for quite some time. So I can think of examples like Australia and England and Scotland uh, who routinely include adverse events um, in medical care um, as part of their injury statistics. So it's, um, it's always been fascinating to me as to why the United States injury prevention and control community hasn't necessarily embraced this issue.
0: Well, what do you think that patient safety research could contribute to injury prevention or conversely, what tools or techniques could injury prevention specialists bring to patient safety work?
1: Well, it's interesting. Of course, for me, as a, as a person trained in injury prevention and control, I think injury has more to give to, to patient safety than the reverse. But, but I will say this, that I think the one thing that patient safety could bring to injury prevention and control is, is that of a, a systems thinking type of paradigm. So in, in systems thinking, we focus not only on active errors in systems, like whether someone's tired or is uh, under the influence of medications or drugs or is just distracted when they're They're doing a task that could potentially be injurious, but we also think about latent factors, so um, upstream factors that we design as creators of systems that that might be things that are more um, persistent, like we're not communicating correctly as a team, and so therefore people don't know what the correct procedure would be for use of equipment or um, proper communication. So these are somewhat of the the hazards that we we create ourselves in environments that, that don't necessarily have to do with the direct effect or, or blaming the victim in injury prevention. So I, I think that's the system's thinking and and, and um, in that thinking about um, a just culture which is, is really important in patient safety where we think about um, not blaming the victim but thinking about how that person who was most directly involved in an injurious event can be the person who devises the solution and can see that solution uh, implemented in their organization. Um, but more importantly, I think that injury prevention and control has a lot to teach to patient safety. In this country, in the United States, in 1999, the Institute of Medicine released its report to Error is Human, building a safer healthcare system. And, and in that, they used um, some seminal studies in patient safety, and they extrapolated those numbers to say that... In one year in the United States, there are between 44 and 98,000 patients who die in hospital. So the fascinating thing about that report, which has been cited as one of the most important public health publications of the last century, is that five years after that report, Lucian Leap, who is who's one of the original authors of one of those seminal reports, did a study five years after the IOM report, are we any safer? And basically he concluded we're not. Just last year, Chris Landriken of Harvard repeated the Harvard Medical Practice Study, which was one of these seminal studies, in North Carolina, a state that's known for its patient safety advanced thinking and really good systems. And he found that there wasn't any difference in the incidence of patient safety events in 10 years in North Carolina. So that always brings me back to what Injury Prevention has published just last year, which is how the field of injury prevention and control has you know, been able to witness and effectuate an 80% reduction in motor vehicle crashes, a two-thirds reduction in in, uh, house fire death rates. And so the premise of my work and, and really the cornerstone of it is injury prevention is the solution for patient safety. And we all need to get involved in solving that problem because as the clinicians are telling us, they're not getting anywhere. So I think injury prevention, our the way we think, I, I think particularly of Carol Runyon's work, how she expanded the Haddon matrix into, into these more social um, justice dimensions, which are more systems based in their thinking, that, that we have a lot to offer here and we're the reason, uh, having not been engaged, especially in the United States, that patient safety hasn't seen this decrease in incidence that it was expecting uh, 10, 12 years after the Institute of Medicine report.
0: So your interests in systems and surveillance um, are really not a surprise to anyone who lo- has looked at your CV. You've had some experience as a consumer of the data and statistics. Can you talk a little bit about your past work and how that's informed your research focus?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, It was very interesting for me. Um, it goes back to... Um, that my time as a very new injury uh, professional, when I was working uh, at the Massachusetts Department of Public Health in Boston with the great Tori Ozanoff who taught me everything I know about injury surveillance, and we had a CDC grant to establish emergency department injury data systems. So while we were recruiting the hospitals, I thought, I'll take our inpatient hospital discharge data and just see what the profile of injuries look like in Massachusetts using, of course, that great tool that we have, the ECODE Matrix. Well, as you may recall with the e-code matrix adverse effects of medical care and drugs are outside of the e-code matrix they're at the bottom with a little script that says we don't really look at these and but I ran them anyway because it was part of the rubric I was using and because these events were coded in Massachusetts in the hospital data. And so this is what I found. And for me as a scientist, it was equivalent to the discovery of the light bulb. Maybe this is the only time in my career I'll see this, but that's why, what got me moving into the direction of patient safety. So in one year in Massachusetts for inpatient hospital discharges, we saw um, 18,000 discharges for patient falls. So that's the number one thing that you see when you look at inpatient data across the country. The third leading cause of injury discharge were, were poisonings. The fourth was motor vehicle crashes, but the second was 10,000 discharges for adverse events of medical care and drugs. Normally, they'd be outside of the statistics that U.S. injury prevention and control professionals use. In Australia, they collect them, and they've seen, just like we saw in Massachusetts, that adverse events are second only to falls. Now, when you think about that in terms of what our priorities are for the injury burden in the United States, if we're not counting these events, we're not actually – understanding that as a part of the injury burden and putting our significant evidence base towards it. So that, for me, got me absolutely started on how are these events injuries like other events, when we go back to Arbus and Carrick and Gibson, Haddon, and Baker, and how they define injuries. And for me, it seemed to be very much within that definition. And so that's how I started doing the surveillance of patient safety events. I continued that work when I was the chief of health statistics in New Hampshire and then eventually went back to get my doctorate, and that's what my dissertation was on. How are we going to conduct the surveillance of patient safety events in the United States, and why does it matter?
0: One of the figures that's um, in your paper that I found interesting is, a, I guess, a Venn diagram that shows an overlap between medical errors and injuries that are caused by those errors, and then injuries that aren't actually associated with an error. And um, you focused, I think, in your paper on injuries that were caused by error. But at least uh, in the clinical quality improvement world, practitioners would ask us also to examine those near-miss events, errors that did not result in an injury, at least not this time. And is that a perspective that could be useful in injury prevention outside of the healthcare setting?
1: Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. Healthcare always claims that it's learned so much from the aviation industry, which which set up its um, aviation safety reporting system, which is a near-miss system, um, after the 1974 TWA crash at, at Dulles uh, near D.C. But other industries have been doing it as well. Um, nuclear power, uh, petrochemical processing, onshore and offshore drilling, um, steel production, the military – uh, firefighting. Lots of those enterprises are using near miss reporting systems because what we understand is, is based on something called the common cause hypothesis. That the patterns and causes of failure that that leads to an injury event are the same in near misses as they are in injuries, and and of course as they are in fatalities. It's just that something. Got in the way either by chance or human intervention or some sort of recovery system that prevented that near-miss from transmitting to the actual person and, and causing some sort of injury. So the surveillance of near-misses is really critical because it gives us the opportunity that public health is always seeking is that of primary prevention. So if we can get to the energy before it interacts with the body at a threshold that exceeds human tolerance, we've actually prevented injury right there and then. And, and furthermore, it's important, especially when you think about healthcare and in industry, because it gives us a risk management perspective into our operations. So, how often does a failure occur, and when that failure occurs, how often does it actually cause some sort of event where we lose somebody, or they're not working anymore, or a person needs to go to healthcare to get fixed because they've had some sort of injury? So, there's there's some really good examples of how near misses have helped in healthcare care settings and also um how they've helped in industrial settings. And and some of those are injury prevention, but there's also these systemic benefits of better communication, better teamwork, people feeling like they've been listened to by a supervisor or by a team member. So when you can talk about the hazard and you're not worried about the blame game, that can be an, a really opportune time to, to think about prevention and strategies because everybody can get on board with knowing that an error happened and, and, and thinking in the best ways to, how to prevent that from actually hurting someone.
0: It would be interesting to think about how to implement near-miss reporting for injuries in a, in a broader public health system, I guess, where, where the change of responsibility and the systems uh, within which any sort of reporting would occur are much more fluid.
1: Right, and and so that's why um, that's why we do have to think about a just culture because when it comes to near miss reporting, we have to remove the blame and shame uh, aspects of reporting. So near misreporting reporting is voluntary, it requires people to feel like, if I tell you about this error that I committed, regardless of what the sequelae were, that I'm not going to get in trouble or fired as a result, that I'm going to be invited to be at the center of solving that problem. And, and this is very important in healthcare settings, because when a new nurse, for example, hangs the wrong antibiotic and then tells her supervisor that, oh, I, I caught it before I actually hooked it up to the patient, but she gets in trouble, she may leave the nursing profession entirely. So that's certainly something we want to avoid. We want people who are close to the errors in our system to be the solvers of those problems as opposed to the inheritors of the system defects that we know are are very much a part of their everyday work. So we do have to think about, and, and I think that's the reason why patient safety in the United States has been a little bit of a problem and maybe why the injury prevention and control community hasn't been so on board because we do have this very litigious nature to Errors in healthcare, and um, a lot of folks in injury prevention have said to me, You know, that's just not our area. But it, when we remove the blame and shame and actually think about non judgmental, solve the hazard problem, which is where injury does a very good job, I, I think that we should really be in that game.
0: I agree. So, um, going back to this particular paper, you you looked at different sources, data sources, as tools for identification of injuries associated with medical error. And um, perhaps not surprisingly, you found that you really needed data from multiple sources to get a full appreciation for the scope and the nature of error-related injury. Why, I guess, um, why do you think it's important to capture these events in the surveillance system? Um, who's going to act on the results when, when you have these data?
1: Right. and. So, in in the paper that um, that you're fo- you're you're featuring in injury prevention in December, you know, we have a conceptual framework that was built on the work of um, Peter Laid and um, Steve Carrot and others who are in the injury prevention and control field. And when I when I contemplated their model, I expanded it to say that we need to be looking at all these various components of errors without injury, errors that lead to injury, and injuries that occur not from error but Just they reflect where we are in the evolution of our understanding of prevention. So each domain of this framework that we highlight in the paper is an opportunity. The errors with no injury is the risk management opportunity. The injuries that occur from errors are, of course, our injury prevention opportunity. And the injuries that don't occur from error are a research and development opportunity. And that gives everyone a nice place to bring their talents to bear but it has a really more important aspect to it which is the policy development in the united states around patient safety has embraced all of these domains at one time or the other so surveillance for its own sake doesn't really help us but the policy makers are looking to us to track these events and when i um when I researched the legislation in the United States that led up to our 2005 Patient Safety and Quality Improvement Act, it was fascinating, Brian, because some of the proposals in the House were about let's just track errors because errors are upstream and they'll allow us to prevent injuries and people are much more interested in reporting them because there's no medical malpractice specter, et cetera, et cetera. And then there were equal Uh, proposals in, in the House and then in the Senate about, no, we just want to capture the injuries because that's what we want to prevent and we're into tort reform and we've got to fix our medical malpractice system. So their policy arguments went back and forth about just errors or just injuries. And so my proposal is that Surveillance, if it's doing its job correctly, cast this wide net and will capture errors, injuries, and, and injuries that don't come from errors. And that way, as the policy discussion evolves, public health will always be able to count no matter where the policy window opens or closes. If they just want errors, we can capture that because we've got error reporting systems. If they just want injuries, we've already got that. If they want injuries that don't result from errors, we've got that too. But if we had just said we're just going to capture in surveillance, surveillance, error-associated injuries, all of the prevention opportunities that come from near misses would not be there, and all the R&D opportunities for biochemistry, biomechanics, engineering that come from that, that latter domain of injuries that aren't associated with errors would be missed. And what would happen is Congress is going to look back to us and say, how are we doing? And we're going to say, well, we never captured those events. And that makes us look bad. So the surveillance should be broad. It should be able to anticipate what the policymakers are going to ask for, and it should be able to do that assessment and the evaluation of, are we any safer?
0: So what you've outlined is, uh, is really a, a vision for a research program that goes well beyond um, a single paper in injury prevention. What is it that, that you're working on now? Uh, what are the next steps for your group?
1: Well um we've been uh we've been doing uh still continuing this work um we want to expand this particular work to more hospitals uh so this particular study uh it, that we uh, that injury prevention is publishing was just done in one hospital. So we know from some of the work that we've done in uh, in this that there's there's some variability in the incidents and there's also a very strong connection with the safety climate in hospitals. So that's the perceptions of the frontline workers and we've been able to show that there's actually a connection between a poorer perception of safety climate, and a subsequent increased risk and injury to patients, as well as to the providers who are taking care of those patients. So we're continuing that work to expand that work in in more hospitals and in, in more diverse settings. But we're also taking this type of work and applying it to the U.S. Fire Service, building them a non-fatal injury surveillance system and looking at their organizational safety climate. Again, taking these models that have been developed in healthcare and applying it to other areas of injury prevention and control. So a set, getting the data from the surveillance about the incidence of injury and the near misses and then looking at the safety climate in those organizations and how that is a very huge risk factor for injuries that occur. So we're really excited about that work and, and really excited to see that there are opportunities in traditional, what are traditional injury prevention and control areas for this, for this research to make uh, inroads.
0: Well, we'll look forward to seeing the results of that work. Thank you, Jim. That was Dr. Jennifer Taylor discussing work reported in the December 2011 issue of Injury Prevention. Her paper, Triangulating Case-Finding Tools for Patient Safety Surveillance, is this month's Editor's Choice. It's freely available at the journal's website. And that's all for this edition of our podcast. Please join us in February for highlights of the next issue. All right.